Do you ever take time to recount and think back over the years and the times when God blessed you and made great intervention in your life and thought about the implications that it had upon your life? Let's just take a few moments and think back over some of the ways that God may have interposed his activity in your lives. A simple obvious one is finances. This past week I paid our bills. And as I thought about paying our bills, it suddenly dawned on me that I don't owe anybody anything. Everything is paid. And I had some great debts. All paid. God has always provided for us when we've needed the funds, we've had them. That's a great blessing. And I think many of you, by the reaction I've seen on your faces, you know that as well. How God has provided for you finances when you've needed it. How about places to live? We view our time here in the place where we now live. A provision of God. We wanted to move here to live near our children and grandchildren. We didn't know where to look. I had a list. I'm a list maker. So I had a list of places to visit and didn't know for sure if even one of them would provide what we need. Until we drove in the street. When we drove in the entrance, we both said almost simultaneously, this is the place. We hadn't seen an apartment. We hadn't met the manager. We didn't know anything about it other than just driving in. We knew God had provided a place for us. I want us to examine this morning a story that began with a memory with God reminding his people of something that he had done for them and then used it as the foundation of what he then called them to do. How he wanted them to make that a living reality in their lives. We find it recorded in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. If you have a copy of the scriptures this morning, I encourage you to turn there as we, as we read the setting of our study today. From Exodus 19, it begins with a reminder and follows up with God's implications of what he has done for them. Exodus 19, I will read from verse 1 down through verse number 8. In the third month after the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they were departed from Rephidim, 
and were come to the wilderness of Sinai, they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and Jehovah called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then shall ye be mine own possession from among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and set before them all these words which Jehovah commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Jehovah has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people unto Jehovah. It starts with a memory. God recalls to their minds what he did for them in Egypt. Remember what he did for them in Egypt? He brought them forth with a mighty arm. He instituted for them the the celebration of Passover. And he told them this would mark the last plague upon Egypt. And after this plague they will drive you out. You recall that Pharaoh held on to them very strongly. Didn't want to let them go. In fact, wouldn't let them go. And God said, after this last plague, he will drive you out. And we have looked at the celebration of Passover that God instituted for them. And told them that if they would put the blood on the doorposts and on the side and on the top of the door, when the destroying angel would pass over to destroy the firstborn of children and of animals. When he saw the blood, God said, I will pass over. I will come in between so that the destroyer will not destroy you and your children and your livestock. And sure enough, that night came. And as a result of that Passover time, Pharaoh and all of his elders and all of his leaders and the people of Egypt came and said, Get out! And to encourage you, here's our gold, here's our silver, here's our our garments. Go! Everything that God had promised came to fruition. God reminded them of his redemption. How he had redeemed them out of Egypt with a strong arm he didn't have to do that it displayed his grace and his mercy and his omnipotence and his faithfulness to his promises and he brought them out not only did he bring them out of Egypt but he brought them across the Red Sea and you know the miracle that God performed at the Red Sea And then he brought them across. And and as the waters of the Red Sea came back together, it destroyed the enemies who pursued them. 
and had enslaved them for many years. And as they stood on the edge of the, the, the Red Sea, on the victory side of the Red Sea, they sang songs of praises to God for what He had done. God says, remember, I did that for you. I did that for you. You didn't do that for you. There was nothing you could do to get yourself out of Egypt. I did that for you. With a strong arm, I redeemed you, and you belong to me. Another thing that we observe in this verse number 4, not only did he remind them of what he had done for them, you saw what I did to the Egyptians, how I brought you out and bore you on angels' wings, but I brought you to myself. Now he speaks to them of reconciliation. He had not only redeemed them, but he had reconciled them to himself. He brought them out of Egypt to himself. Why did they need reconciling to God? Ah, let me remind you of what transpired in the Garden of Eden. How Adam and Eve gave in to the temptations from the serpent and they ate of the forbidden fruit in the midst of the garden. And instead of worshipping the sovereign God who created them, they submitted themselves to a creature. And they had rebelled against God and they had rejected God's rule and reign over them. They needed reconciliation to God. They now were estranged from Him. In fact, God drove them out of the garden, you will remember. Oh, He had made a promise to them before He drove them out. He made a promise. I will send a champion. The champion will come. Who will crush the serpent. Seed of the woman. But they were still estranged. In fact, they had experienced in a first-hand fashion the severity of kingly authority without God. They suffered under the rule of man in Egypt for hundreds of years as slaves and as servants. Many of them lost children at the hands of the Egyptians who destroyed them and threw them into the river. They couldn't do it on their own. Their sin had separated them from God. Now powerless and helpless to reconcile themselves back to God, God did for them what they could not do for themselves. Not only did He redeem them out of Egypt, but then it says He gathered them to Himself. He reconciled them back again. This provides for us such a beautiful picture of what Jesus did. God sent His Son, Jesus, to become the Redeemer. The one who would provide a redemption far superior to the redemption of bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. A redemption that would cure the very underlying fault of man, sin. 
And he sent his son, Jesus, to become the redeemer of sinners. And he paid the price of sin and the penalty that sin deserves for people like you and like me. He paid for it. For God had told Adam and Eve prior to their sin, if you eat of that fruit in the day that you eat of it, dying you will die. And the scripture tells that death reigned upon all men. And we know the reality of that even in our day, don't we? Yes, we do. All of us know that. Jesus came to provide redemption for sinners like you and like me. That He might reconcile us back to God. Here again, God extending the arm. God providing for sinners what they could not do in themselves. It began in the garden. God's promise to Adam and Eve, I will provide a deliverer. Here, God intervening in the life of Israel, drawing them out of Egypt. And we find numerous examples in the Old Testament of God intervening on behalf of Israel. Extending His grace. And we find with God sending His Son. Extending His grace. And Jesus provides redemption. Do you love Him this morning for what He has done? Have you experienced firsthand His redeeming love? His redemption that He has made available? Have you partaken of it yourself so that you know firsthand the redemption that He came to provide? Oh, my friends, I have. Helpless. Powerless. He interposed His great love for me. And if I've observed some of you nodding your heads in agreement when I've asked, yes, you've experienced it as well. Jesus, the Redeemer. Jesus, the Reconciler, who reconciles us back to God the Father. That we might now again fellowship with Him and enjoy His presence again. Far superior to the presence that Israel experienced because we have it within. Jesus, the Redeemer, the Reconciler, Oh, I pray that you love him this morning. I pray that you place upon what he has done for you a high value. Priceless. Beyond what money could buy. Enjoy today and give him thanks for what he has done for you. But the account progresses. He reminded them of what he had done for them. He reconciled them to himself. Now notice what he says. Now therefore, since I have redeemed you, brought you out, you're mine now. 
I own you. You belong to me. Now because of what I have done for you, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And he says this, If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be mine own possession from all peoples. He made a covenant with them. He made a promise to them. And the condition of that promise was obedience. If you will obey my law, I will fulfill with you a covenant. And then he goes on and explains the covenant, which we'll look at in just a moment. For the present time, I want us to think about the obedience. God required of them one condition. Obedience. Just like he had required of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, obedience. Obey me. And in obeying me, exhibit your faith. And by faith, exhibit your faith in obedience. Trust me. Obey me. And if you will, I will make a covenant with you. Now, the record of how God ruled and reigned in righteousness in the Garden of Eden gives to us a very vivid example of what it means to live under the rule and reign of Christ. Now, the serpent tempted and deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden as to what it meant to live under the rule and reign of God. And it comes as a real sad commentary upon Adam and Eve because they had lived under the rule and reign of God. They had reveled in the fellowship with God. They had walked with Him in the garden. They had harmony with Him and harmony with each other. They had known His intimate presence. And the flourish of the garden they enjoyed. And all of life that they had. Under the rule and reign of God. Was good. It was good. Nothing evil about it. No guilt. No sorrow. No hardship. No pain. No suffering. They had also known, by their own experience, the cruelty of living under man's dominion in Egypt. And God now called them to obey Him. Come and live under my rule and reign in righteousness. And it will be good. It will be good. And then we begin to see the parts of the covenant that God made with them. He made this covenant with them. If you'll obey me, if you will follow me, then you'll be my own possession above all people. Stop and think about that for a moment now. What did he promise to them? He promised to them, if you will obey me, you will be my people. And I will elevate you above all of the nations of the world because the world is mine. And I can do with my world what I want to do with my world. And I will elevate you above all of the nations of the world. You will be my treasury. 
my treasured possession, my personal possession. You will belong to me and I will elevate you and regard you above all other nations. Wow. What a pledge. What a covenant. What a promise. Reminds us of what God promised us through Christ. We read in John chapter 1 verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power, what? To become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We follow that up in John chapter 3, where Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, I will give to them eternal life. Will not fall into condemnation. Then we read in Romans where it says that the Father has adopted us as His children. Those who come to Him through Christ by faith. We will experience a new kind of life, a new quality of life, eternal life, the very life of God Himself. That life taking up residence within us by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, what God has promised us and provided for us in Christ vastly exceeds what He promised to the children of Israel. He would make them above all nations. Oh, but He has promised to those who trust Christ to be what? His children. He will adopt them into His family so that we would become brothers and sisters of the Savior. Think about that for a moment. Think about what God has provided for people like you and like me. Give us the right and the privilege and the authority to become children of God. Inheritors of eternal life. Forever residing with Him. He told His disciples on that last night before His crucifixion. We find it recorded in John 14. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, my friends, the wondrous gift that God in His grace has given to us, and elevated us above all peoples, to count us, and to make us His own possession adopting us into his family as his children but it doesn't stop there that's just part of it we go on and we read further part of this covenant that God made with the children of Israel not only would he take them for himself as they obey him he would elevate them above all the people's Oh, but then read next what he says. And ye shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. 
not only would the children of Israel become his special possession and people, but he would give them a responsibility. He gave to them a role as to what they would accomplish among all of the nations of the world. He elevated them for a purpose. He didn't elevate them just to elevate them, but he chose them for a special task. And that task was to be kingdom of priests. Now that's an interesting combination. Because typically we separate those roles, don't we? Usually kings are not priests. And priests are not kings. Priests are priests and kings are kings. But God said, I will make you a kingdom of priests. Now observe what that means. What that means is that the children of Israel would become mediators between God and the rest of the world, the nations. They would proclaim unto the nations as priests God's law. They would proclaim the knowledge of God. They would extend throughout the earth God's presence and His glory. And they would instruct and teach the nations of the world to honor and to worship God and to know Him. In that regard, they would function as priests. Furthermore, as priests, they would then bring those nations to God as they would proclaim the truth and the knowledge of God, they would then bring those nations to God as priests. And we read in parts of the Old Testament where other nations did come to Jerusalem to see the light, to learn of God. And as kingly priests, they would extend throughout all of the nations God's righteous rule and reign as sovereign over all things. They would become a kingdom of priests. One requirement. Obedience. If you will obey my law, if you will obey my demands, I will make you, my special people, a kingdom of priests. Now, that obedience that God required of them came not only as a condition of the covenant, but it also became the mark of the children of Israel that would enable them to actually serve as a kingdom of priests. Because their responsibility to those nations was to show forth God's character. To teach them about God and to bring the knowledge of God and the presence of God to all the nations. Well, how could they do that if they walked in disobedience to the God whom they said they proclaimed? So now the obedience not only becomes a condition for them to receive the covenant promises, but it also became a requirement for them to actually fulfill the responsibilities that God gave to them. 
they would have to walk in obedience so that they would live holy lives. They would become a holy nation. They would then declare to all of the nations God's nature and character. We've had a glimpse throughout this story of God's character, haven't we? His grace, His mercy, His faithfulness, His omnipotence, His transcendence, the fact that He is above all of His creation, His sovereignty that He is in control of all of His creation, His uniqueness who stands alone as the only true and the living God. I want you to see that what God called the children of Israel to do, He calls every believer to do. He has made us royal priests. I want you to see that. We read it in one of Peter's epistles. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10. Here's what we read. But you are an elect race. Who's he talking to? He's talking to people who have trusted in Christ. Who have seen that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Not a rock of offense and stumbling as he became and continues today to become to some people. Who stumble over him. To those who have trusted Christ, who see Him as the chief cornerstone, He says, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Does that sound familiar? That's right out of the chapter in Exodus 19 that I just read a couple of moments ago. You are a special people. My very own possession. Why? That you might show forth the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Who in time past were no people. In other words, He said, in time past you were no people. But now you've become the people of God. In time past you didn't know God's mercy. Now you have obtained mercy. For all intents and purposes, Peter was quoting from Exodus chapter 19. And this letter he wrote to believers in Christ and to communities of faith we call the church. And God has given to us, His church, His children, the same responsibilities that He gave to the children of Israel when He brought them out of Egypt and made a covenant with them on Mount Sinai. God still wants to fulfill His plan. His plan and purpose that in the Garden of Eden He he established when He created all things was to rule and reign in righteousness with His presence on the earth among men. He didn't fail. Adam and Eve failed. They rebelled and has thrown the world into disaster since. But God still plans to fulfill His plan and purpose for man. Now He has a church. Now He has people like you and like me in whom He dwells, in whom He lives, to whom He has given the Holy Spirit. We have 
a position that exceeds what God gave to them in the Old Testament. We don't live under the frailties and dictates of the flesh. No, in some regard you say, well, no, wait a minute, Tom. Yeah, I do. Oh, but we have the Spirit of God in us to give us divine enablement and ability to accomplish that which our frail flesh cannot accomplish. The kingdom of priests. The church. A kingdom of priests. Believers. Christ followers. Royal priests with the responsibility to proclaim the rule and reign in righteousness of Christ to all the earth. To walk in holiness, in obedience to God's word and his law. To worship him. To enjoy his presence. And to extend that presence throughout all the earth. I pray that the Spirit of God will open your eyes to see it. The wondrous calling that He has extended to you. I trust that today the Spirit of God has worked in your heart and life to see the truth. And if up to this day you have not yet trusted in Christ, that today He would bring you to trust Him. To see His exorbitant love. And the over arcing value of coming to faith and trust in Christ. Let's close in prayer.